Well, hello there and welcome back to my podcast. Today's guest is Bunny Dillabo. Bunny wrote her first 26-line poem at age 8, but published her first novel two weeks before her 64th birthday. And it was the first novel in an ongoing series. Currently, there are six of them. I'll leave all the information in the description of the podcast. But what I want you to take from this is that it's never too late to follow your dreams. Bunny talked candidly about life in general, about all sorts of jobs that she had, about the lessons she took from various experiences that she had in her life. We talked a little bit about family, about people who can influence your life and all sorts of interesting, interesting things. And I just want to say as well that Bunny's presence is very, very calming. I felt so calm after talking to her. So I'm sure you'll get the same feeling from listening to this podcast. All I can say is if you'd like to get in touch, don't hesitate to contact uh, myself and Bonnie. And especially that she really likes mentoring aspiring writers. So if you are interested in writing, make sure you contact Bunny as well. I'll leave the website in the description and all the information that you need. If you do want to encourage me and my podcast, you can buy me a coffee online. Um, what it means is that there is this website called buymeacoffee.com and if you put slash Moldovan abroad, you can donate the money that you would pay for a coffee basically. This is just to have like a little nice financial support, but I already appreciate the fact that you're listening and that hopefully you are taking something interesting from my podcast. So I thank you for that and I wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Jolly holidays, everyone. Lots of love. Hi, Bonnie, and welcome to my podcast. Oh, thank you, Daniela. I'm so happy to be here with you and your friends. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here because you spread so much light and so much positivity. So I'm just super, super excited about this episode. And I know that you love books and you love writing, but I want to start by the fact that you wrote your first 26-line poem at age 8. And it's interesting because some people say if you don't know what you want to do in life, you have to remember what you wanted to do when you were a child or, or a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know around that age that you wanted to make it a career at some point. Or what were you thinking when you were age 8 and writing poems? I wrote because, first of all, I loved to read. Mm -hmm. My mother started reading to me while I was still in the womb. Mm -hmm. And her idea of a fun time for me and my sister was to walk to our local library and check out some books. And we did that every week when I, from the time I can remember. So by the time I was four, I was reading. By wow. the time I was in kindergarten, I was reading at a first grade level, which my kindergarten teacher was a little distressed about because she said what can I teach her but I one of my favorite authors was Dr. Seuss who of course wrote in rhyme mm -hmm. and so poetry came very naturally to me uh, I didn't start thinking about wanting to write until I was in high school mm -hmm. and then me and a friend of mine 
were absolutely sure that someday we were both going to write the great American novel and be famous writers and all of that. But then, you know, life happens. I went into the military right out of high school. Mm -hmm. And while I was in the military, I met my husband. We got married and had six amazing children. And over a course of time, I got to do a lot of really awesome things. For instance, I was a professional clown for a while. And I I started that when we lived in Frankfurt, Germany. Ah, Um, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, doing, I was a birthday clown and did birthday parties for all of the other military personnel in the area, even uh, went as far away as Mannheim and Munich to do that. Went on the train in my clown costume. It was a lot of fun. The German people are amazing. They seem so austere on the outside, but they have a great sense of humor. Um, And then came home here. I did that for a while longer, but I also had the opportunity to do broadcast television for a while. At one point I taught uh, web design I owned a podcast uh, station at some point. I've done a lot of really fun things, but the thing I wanted to do since I was in high school was I wanted to write. So two weeks before my 64th birthday, I finally published my first novel. Well done. Wow. (laughs) Which tells you that you have a lot of seasons in your life and your journey can be kind of a bumpy one. But when it comes down to it, there's a time for everything, isn't there? There is indeed. Do you think that things in life happen for a reason? For example, like I imagine you probably didn't plan to go to the army, but then that kind of happened so that you can meet your husband, for example. Yes, I believe that's true. You know, um, Albert Einstein is famous for saying that uh, there are no accidents. And I believe that that's true. I think that there are timelines in our lives that often bring us together with people that we didn't expect, but end up being very significant in our lives, uh, give us opportunities to have challenges, which, you know, people say opportunities to have challenges. I don't want any challenges. Well, yes, you do, because that's how we grow. Mm-hmm. And, and we learn, I, I don't know about anybody else, but I have learned a lot more from the difficulties in my life than the smooth areas. The smooth areas is where you catch your breath before the next challenge. <laughs> it's interesting that I read um, I read an article that you wrote on your website, which I'll put in the description of the podcast. It's about influencers. Well, the connotation of the word nowadays, it's a bit different, but you're mm-hmm. talking about how people can, you, you don't even, you can't even be aware of how many people you can influence in a day, goodly or badly. So you're just saying, you know, that you like brings, brings you people. And do you want to talk a little bit about a little bit about that article that you wrote about influencers, because I think it's a good topic to talk about as well. Most certainly. Well, um, there's two sides to this. The people who have influenced me mm-hmm. during the course of my life, my grandparents basically adopted me and my sister and raised me for the most part uh, and, and my sister. Uh, and they've been a huge influence in my life as far as their ideas, their philosophies, their beliefs, all of those things. Um, I've had teachers who have encouraged me, and not just teachers in the sense of in a school classroom environment, but people who've taught me by their example how to be a better person or, on the other side, things to avoid in my life. 
And um, I have a, a dear friend who used to say that there are three kinds of people. There are foolish people, there are smart people, and there are wise people. A foolish person is a person who makes the same mistake over and over and over again. A smart person is a person who learns from their mistakes after they've made them, but a wise person is a person who can learn from the mistakes of other people. <laughs> but um, the other side of this coin is, I have to ask myself every day, what kind of an influence am I being in the world around me? Now, my reach isn't very big. None of us have an absolutely worldwide or universal reach, uh, or very, very few of us. But within the realm of what I can do, of who I am and the people I associate with, am I leaving this world a little bit better than it was before? How am I influencing the people around me? For instance, I'm a grandma. I have 18 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. Over and above, I mean, you obviously, as a parent, you influence your children, but I... I want to spend the kind of time with my grandchildren that influences them, first of all, to avoid some of my mistakes. Mm -hmm. And secondly, to learn how to avoid some of the pain in their life, you know, um, by trying to be a better person and trying to also hopefully reach out to other people. And I think there's a ripple effect that happens there that's really, really important. Uh, we talk about uh, wanting to make the world different. Well, my husband is fond of saying that you should be the difference you want to see. And I think that that's really kind of where I'm headed with, hopefully with my life, but also with my books. I'm hoping that the things that I write are an influence in people's lives that is positive. My characters go through some difficult things. There's no denying that. But it's really about what are the good things? What is, where is the hope in the story? And I think that's probably a good question to ask ourselves. Where is the hope in our story? You know, uh, we all have one and they're all different. And we don't know other people's stories. We can look at them and think we think we know who they are. But we really don't know until we um, really get to know them. And really, when it comes down to it, you're the only person who really knows you, right? Yeah, and I guess this, this kind of thoughts can and should create empathy towards other people because you don't know what they're going through, really. Right. I was wondering, so we'll get to your books in a minute. You were just saying how many grandchildren you have, and that's amazing. I was just wondering, how does Christmas Day look like for you? For me, Christmas is that time when we gather together as much as we can. My kids are kind of all over the place. And so mm -hmm. that means my, and my grandkids are kind of all over the place because they have each taken different paths and some of them are clear across the country and some of them are close by. But I love the idea of connecting and reconnecting with family and friends. And that to me is the reason for the season, as they say. For me, it's a time to, to be grateful for what I have, who I am, who I've been, 
and what I have the hope to become. And I feel, you know, I see so much potential in our youth and our young people today. Let's face it, they're the face of our future. And so I love hanging out with, I, well, let's see, the grandchildren range in age of one year old to 25, okay? Mm -hmm. So there's a big span of ages there. And each one is going through these wonderful, different, amazing stages of exploration of their world and, and like that. And my hope is that as worldwide community, that we focus on those young people and their potential. And, you know, kind of, we spent a lot of time in the quote, me generation. I think it's about time to start focusing on the us generation. So, but that's what Christmas means to me is, is, is it's about us. It's the one time of the year when we start focusing outside of ourselves and look at the people who are less fortunate than we are and reach out. It's the time when we smile a little bit more at the people around us. It's a time when we give a little bit more from our hearts and recognize, hey, you know, I've been given so much. Let me just give something to someone else who doesn't have what I have. Yeah, so beautifully said. And I was reading about you as well, that you do things, for example, like crochet hats for the homeless. And I can see that you have a very kind and giving nature. So yeah, it's really wonderful to hear everything that you're saying. It's just heartwarming. Uh, you've listed quite a few things that you've done in the past. They were all very interesting and, and very exciting. One of the things that you also did for a while, and I'm interested how did that influence your writing in the present, is the fact that you, well, first of all, you put your first website in 1996. That was so early on. Yes. Um, well done. You, you're like probably the first one on the internet. And you've made your living uh, for about 20 years on the internet, as you say in your description. Um, so you've been writing blog posts and sales copies, scripts for online videos and so on. Yeah. How did that experience help your writing as it is today? Well, I think pretty much for any writer, where you get your ideas is out of your own experiences, in addition to whatever research you do on certain topics. But um, the internet was kind of a pioneer situation for me. One of my friends is fond of saying that you can always tell the pioneers because they're the ones with the arrows in their backs. When we first started, me and my partners first started on the internet back in 1996, and I put my first website up, we decided we were going to sell web pages. Mm -hmm. um, to people. Well, the funny thing was, is we would go around to businesses and 90% of the businesses that we approached at that time didn't even have a computer on the premises, wow. much, much less an email account or any clue as to what the internet even was. Back then, Bill Gates was saying that the internet was a fad and it was going to go away. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it really was very, very different than it is now. Back then, um, when I programmed a website, I did it in Notepad. There were no, there was no software to do it in, and so I learned HTML from the ground up. Wow. And so I had the opportunity to experience the birth of an industry. And in the process, because I've always kind of had a marketing mindset in my life, my huge interest in the internet was how it could be so key 
in how you, once again, talking about influencers and whatnot, how you influence the people around you, that if you had a presence on an international platform, what can you do with it? And um, of course, social media hadn't been invented yet. There was back um, when I first started with computers, we were on bulletin board systems. And that was kind of the birthplace of the internet, so to speak. But, and that was purely social. Uh, they frowned on anything that was even remotely commercial on that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, when I told my friends on bulletin board systems, hey, you could probably get local businesses to advertise on your bulletin board system and make some money with that. They're going, oh, nobody's ever going to pay for that. You know, I mean, that's just silly. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> and then years and years later, they're like, oh yeah, Bonnie, okay. Um, but at any rate, so I immediately saw that there was some commercial implications and started learning the platform and how to do it. My first website was so ugly and so awful. And I eventually got to the point to where I was invited by a local tech college, even though I didn't have a degree, to teach web design at their tech college because of what I had been able to do. And then I, once again, I tried to teach them marketing as part of the process. And the guy who ran the tech college is going, no, just teach them how to program HTML. They don't. I'm going, you know what? If they're going to sell websites, which is what they were being trained to do, they need to know something about marketing. And I kind of insisted on it. But what I learned was that if you want to market well on the internet, there are so many websites that all they are is a great big uh, online bulletin board. They really are a catalog. They're not, uh, they're not doing any real marketing because they don't get that it's about creating relationships. And that was the one thing that I learned very clearly. And so I started teaching other marketers and I started consulting for different businesses and helping them get their internet act together on, from a marketing standpoint. But what I discovered was how hesitant they were to do that part of the, of the marketing. They were fine with, oh yeah, let's make this beautiful, gorgeous website. And they were fine with making sure that they had an email and all that kind of stuff. But when it came down to being proactive and going out there and actually interacting with their customers the same way they would in a brick and mortar store, they were pushing back on that. They said, I don't have time for that. And I'm like, uh, that's like saying you don't have time for your customers and all you really want is their money. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but this is a new group of consumers that you have not met before. And I'm telling you that they are going to be more loyal to you and they're more willing to come back again and again and again to purchase what you have if they feel something for you. And so after a while, I got really tired of people not following my advice. <laughs> and um, what's really funny now is you hear the really big marketing companies and that's all they're telling people, right? I think, if, sorry to interrupt. I think you've always been ahead of your time. I think you've always been one step ahead of everyone. 
Yeah, and and that can be a bit of a drawback to be honest. <laughs> but but that being said, then uh, I went through some really difficult things physically. I mm-hmm. um, my vision started to go bad. I had some uh, bad health issues, and then I lost my balance and ended up in a wheelchair. I went through breast cancer. Went through all these things, right? And um, to the point to where I just kind of stopped doing any of the online stuff and whatnot, because I was just focusing on trying to get better. And then when I found out I was going to be in a wheelchair, I got really depressed, Mm -hmm. upset, um, because I was used to just doing things. I went out and walked five miles every day. I, you know, I would, I've just been a doer pretty much all of my life. And I got really depressed about it and upset and started um, very uh, contemplating very hard and praying um, for some guidance, because I really didn't know what to do. And one morning I woke up and it was like a voice, somebody standing right next to me saying, you need to stop worrying about what you can't do and start focusing on what you can do. That was so powerful. And it was for me, it was very powerful. And then a few weeks later, like I said, no accidents, right? A few weeks later, I got the opportunity to interview an amazing author, someone who I have admired for many years. Her name is Mercedes Lackey. She's a science fiction fantasy author. She's got over 140 books to her credit, and she's a big draw at science fiction and fantasy conventions all over the world. And that was a fangirl moment for me. I was just like, oh gosh, Mercedes Lackey, I'm so excited. And we got finished with with the interview, and she took another 45 minutes and just chatted with me. And I was so impressed by that because I knew how busy she is. And towards the end of that time, I very timidly said, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book. And she leaned forward into the camera to where all I could see was her face. And she said, so put your butt in the chair and write. (laughs) And I went, oh, okay. (laughs) And so... A few weeks later, I actually did. I took a, an idea that I've had for a long time, and I got uh, involved with something called NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writers Month, where it's a challenge for you to write 50,000 words in a month. I already had, by that time, about 17,000 words on this book that I'd started. And that was, I started the book in October, and I wrote the end on January 1st. I just couldn't stop writing once I got started because I'd missed it so much. And I published that book April of 2019, mm-hmm. COVID, COVID and all. <laughs> and since then, I've managed to publish five books. I've got a sixth book in the works, which is going to be published in May. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like eating potato chips or peanuts. You can't just eat one, right? <laughs> But I'm loving the way one thing led to another thing to another thing. And I didn't do it by myself. I can't claim 100% responsibility for this because I had a mother and a grandmother who encouraged me so much in reading and writing and being interested and curious about the world. I have a husband who has been magnificent during this time, taking care of my every need while I'm writing and writing and writing. My family is so supportive. I have many wonderful 
and supportive friends, my beta readers, my copy editor, my cover artist, all these people, no artist or author creates in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. No, there's so many other people that are part of that and make that doable, possible. So you were saying you published five books. One of them, I think, happened recently. I think you were mm-hmm. just doing a, a book signing mm-hmm. uh, at the time of the recording. I wanted to ask you, first of all, how do you choose the subjects that you cover? What kind of subjects do you cover and how do you develop? Well, let's start with that, with the subjects, and then I'll go to how do you develop sure. characters? So the book is a book series, okay? And it started from a dream that I started having back in my teen years. And it was one of those that comes back over and over and over again. And finally, one day I just finally wrote it down because it was bothering me. I kept asking people, what do you think this means? And the dream goes something like this. I'm at a housewarming party and the housewarming party is for me. It's my new house. And you know how you are when you get a new house where you look in every nook and cranny to make sure that you you know, have the, have a place for your furniture and where you're going to put things and everything. And mm-hmm. during this party, somebody asks me for something. And in each dream, it's a little bit different, but they ask me for something and I go, oh yes, I've got it in the other room. I'll be right back. And I go down the hallway and there's a closet door that I've never noticed before. And I'm like, where did that come from? And I open it up and it's not a closet. It's a door the size of a warehouse And inside, it leads to a place like the size of a warehouse. And inside that warehouse-like space are things like jet planes and grand pianos and toys and clothing and sculptures and all kinds of weird and interesting things. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And I, and I, oh my goodness, I've got to tell my friends. And I run back and I say, guys, you got to come see this. This is amazing. And I get there and the door is gone. And it's like, and that's and, and I, every time I wake up and that's the basis on which this story was created. And it's about a young woman who inherits a house, a cat and a key from an aunt she's only met twice in her life. Turns out the house has a room in it that couldn't possibly be there. The cat is not a cat and the key doesn't unlock any of the doors in her house, but leads her to adventures in the multiverse where she learns things about herself that she never thought were possible. And that's the story. That's the core of the story. But it started with just a dream that wouldn't leave me alone. Now, writing for me, what I call it is pretending on paper. When I was a kid, I used to run pretending workshops in my backyard. I would have all the neighborhood kids over and I'd say, okay, today we're going to pretend about this. And I would have a story in my head and I'd give each one of them a part. And I'd say, okay, now you need to do this and you need to do this. this." And so for me, this is an opportunity for me not to have to grow up because I get to take my imagination and all of my interest in science and fantasy, combine them into this one really odd story and, and hang out with these characters. And you were say, talking about characters. Um, where do you get your characters? You know, that's a really funny question because I don't have any of my characters that are a straight one person that I know. Mm-hmm. And it just, just describes that person. All of these 
characters are a combination of many people that I've met over my life. But the characters are intended to make the story a place where you want to live, people you want to hang out with. Um, some people you don't want to hang out with, actually, because you've got to have a villain, right, or two. Mm -hmm. But I've had the blessing in my life of meeting so many amazing people from all over the world, thanks to my own travels, thanks to the internet, and just serendipities of opportunities I've had to just run into people that are just fascinating, interesting individuals who deserve to have some of those traits and images that they put, produce in my head reproduced for other people to experience. Very interesting. Um, I believe in serendipity and things like that. And I think the universe somehow made this happen for us to record this podcast as well. And because there were also things uh, that you're mentioning that you bring up into your books, like caring for Earth, for example. Mm -hmm. Would you like to address this subject a little bit because it's become such an important topic? Because for a long time, people just didn't listen to scientists. And I know that you you are a big advocate of science as well. Scientists weren't listened. Now, suddenly, we're in this crisis of climate change and everything. So in my books, there are several different places where I address just the whole idea of stewardship, but also how we are linked to the animals and plant life on our planet and how we need to just realize we have to live on this planet <laughs> and science notwithstanding, you know, I think science scientists are amazing. And most people think of scientists as these stern people who are constantly analyzing things and stuff, but scientists are among some of the most creative individuals on the planet because they are able to look at things that we see every day and go, I wonder, or what if, that's what writers do too, right? Mm -hmm. And for instance, uh, give you a, a, just a silly example. The first person who figured out that you could make sound travel along a wire, mm -hmm. you know, or the guy who invented the paperclip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my favorite things, I was watching Star Trek before it was reruns on television long, long ago. And I read um, a biography about Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. And uh, one of the things I read there was that there were scientists in NASA who were assigned to watch Star Trek oh, and, to wow. copy down, and to copy down every new idea they found there. Wow. Now, currently, with the exception of warp drive, replicators, and transporters, we have pretty much everything else that they ever showed on Star Trek as far as technology is concerned. Isn't that interesting? Wow. All out of all out of that creative mind of Mr. Roddenberry. But our world is our spaceship. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's amazing that when you look at just a, from a scientific point of view, when you look at the world, it has 
the itty bitty teeny tiny particles that they still keep finding that there's a smaller one and then there's a smaller one and then there's a smaller one. They still haven't found the smallest one, I don't think. And then there are things that are so huge and humongous, including the earth itself and the solar system that we live in and the galaxy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about just our bodies alone, the human body is made up of trillions of cells, each cell being a little solar system in and of itself. <laughs> how amazing that it's all what it is and how few planets we've discovered so far that even have the potential to be what our earth is. How precious is that? And how precious should it be to us? And so I address things like I'm using aquaponics, for instance, taking the time and effort to not uh, kill another living thing if we don't have to, and being considerate of the environments of other people on our planet, and and what the and also some of the consequences. Uh, one of my the most recent novel that just got published addresses the consequences of what happens mm -hmm. when we don't pay attention. Fortunately, it doesn't address the consequence far. It's not the earth comes to an end or anything like that, but it's another planet and what happened with, for them and how they changed their attitude. And, um, but it was, uh, it was a devastating situation. So yeah, I think it's really, really important that we respect and honor the absolute magnificence of the planet that we live on we need to not take it for granted because if we do there may come a time when we wish we hadn't there's a lot of food for thought for everyone who is listening bunny before we wrap up is there anything else you'd like to add really enjoyed doing this with you and your peeps and I just, I just want to say uh, how much I appreciate your listeners out there uh, taking the time to listen in here. And I'm guessing there may be some of them that are thinking like I did, you know, I'd like to write a book someday. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've been very much engaged in recently is mentoring aspiring authors. Mm -hmm. And I've actually created a special program for that. It's in its infant stages right now, but I'm inviting people to come and talk to me about their aspirations as wanting to write a book. Or maybe they've got a book written, but they don't know what to do from here because the program teaches them not only how to write, um, which is a very individual thing, but also how to publish and how to promote your books. There's um, a website, it's called notionsintomotion.com. Mm -hmm. And I'll make sure and give you that link. Thank you so much for this. I'll make sure to add the link in the description of the podcast. And thank you for doing this episode with me. And for all of those listening, Bunny and I already discussed about recording another episode next year. So make sure you keep in touch with us and you check when there's a new episode.
Thank you so much again and wishing you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.